Um, I've got a bit of a cough, so I'm going to use a handheld so I don't cough into the other one. So give me two secs, because I don't have enough hands to, uh, to do this. So turn to the person next to you and uh, tell them how good it is to see them today at church. Or maybe not the person next to you, maybe somebody who you didn't come with. Turn around and welcome them to church. Just tell them how good it is to see them. There we go. That's nice. If there was somebody that's good to see at church and you didn't get to say that to them, it's all right. We can hang around for tea and coffee afterwards and you can say it again then. That's fine. Hey, um, when I was uh, in my teen years, I had the privilege of serving uh, out at Tortilla Springs in kids camps. Who's uh, ever had the privilege of serving at kids camps at any different camp around the country? Yeah. Awesome. So good. If your hand hasn't gone up, don't worry. You're never too old. You can still keep serving at kids' camps. It's one of the greatest things you'll ever get to do uh, with your life is to see young people make that decision to follow Jesus. And uh, at this one particular camp, I was, um, uh, I can't remember how old I was. I was in my late teens by this point. Uh, I've been serving for a little while. And uh, this uh, young kid who was about 10 years old had grown up in a Christian family. And and he was just broken. Something had something had happened to him and he was just broken. And and uh, one of the female leaders goes, oh, Aaron will probably have some better answers for you. So so they bring me over. I'm like, yeah, thanks for throwing me into it. Appreciate that. And um, start talking to this young boy. And, and what, what had broken in him was actually a heart for his friends. And what had happened was he had a group of Christian friends that he loved hanging out with. And um, they were starting to go down a path that, that he didn't really agree with. And he thought they were doing things that he didn't necessarily agree with or thought that aligned with the Bible or how he had been raised. And so he, he was just going, Aaron, what do I do? How do I have that conversation with my friends? How do I pull them up on stuff without being, you know, that weird goody two-shoes rule follower kind of a guy? You know, I just love them so much, and I just don't like the things that they're choosing to do and the path that they're going down. Now, at that moment in my life, I had absolutely no answers for him, unfortunately, because uh, I didn't have Christian friends growing up. I grew up with all of my mates being non-Christians, and so I didn't have any like mates that I'm like, oh, they're not following the Bible because their whole lives weren't following the Bible. And so it was a little bit harder for me to be like, well, this is what I tried because I just didn't really have that wealth of experience. I can't say I have much more wealth of that experience now, but I definitely have some more truths from the Bible that I would give some advice to that young man today if I saw him again. But this is what we're going to be looking at this morning as we open God's Word. So stay open in James chapter 5. We're going to work our way through this lengthy passage. No, just kidding. We're just looking at these last couple of verses here in the book of James as we wrap things up in our series on Faith Does. And so... Um, one of the connections that seems to be with those last couple of verses with the rest of that, that section that Sophie read out for us there is there's kind of like this whole, if you're sick, that's a sign for something. And so we need to call on the elders to come and pray that you may be saved from that physical ailment and potentially save your life. Now we move into the space where James here is calling on us to observe whether there's a sickness in someone's life that may lead to their soul dying. Okay. And so we're going to it's uh, not quite as obvious, but I think that's the connection and why James concludes with this. He says, My brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. We see earlier in the passage that the, per the reason that person was sick was actually because of sin in their life. And so they both needed to offer forgiveness and be healed physically and spiritually. And now we're talking about a person who maybe doesn't have those physical sickness as a sign that this person has wandered from the truth. We see the connection with the two, uh, with the repetition, uh, repetition of the word sinner. 
as we describe the same type of person in this passage. We're going to start this morning by looking at why this is so important to turn a person who is wandering from the truth back to the truth. Then we're going to look at who the people are in this text, and then we're going to close with a bit of the what, a little bit of the practicalities of how would we journey alongside someone and bring them back into truth. Now, just a little heads up, the difference between what is going to be in the sermon and what's going to be in the elective. The elective is looking a little bit more big picture of why people make those steps um, or make that journey away from their Christian faith, and that's what we're going to be talking about in the elective. This one is about more about where we are at and bringing someone back into the fold, if that makes sense. So hopefully that helps, and um, you're welcome to join us for the elective afterwards. So why? Well, it's really, really simple, actually. To bring them back from the error of their way, we can save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Why should we bring people back who are starting to wander from the truth? Because we could save them from death. We could save them from eternal separation from their heavenly Father. You see, as we get on in this sermon, we're going to be talking about how to have some challenging conversations. One of the things that often happens is we don't like to have those awkward conversations with our friends who we think might be wandering from the truth. Oh, it's awkward. I don't want to lose them as a friend. Oh, maybe it's the pastor's job. Oh, I'll call in an elder. You know, I'll pass it on to someone else. But maybe we're just not quite like that young kid that I shared about at the start whose heart is so broken for their friend as they start to wander from the truth. Where is our heart at today? Do we have that heavenly perspective? The why that we need to pull and call people back who are wandering from the truth is so that we can save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. When you start to ask yourself, why are we here as believers? We can look back to what Matthew wrote in his gospel. Jesus' final words were to, to us were to go and make disciples. You see, that doesn't stop when somebody makes a confession of faith and starts sitting in these pews. Making a disciple is a lifelong journey. Part of the call of Jesus for us to make disciples also means that when we see people wandering from the truth, we need to draw them back. So the question is, is in your life, if you are going to see someone or if you have seen someone wandering from the truth and you go, not my problem, Maybe we just have a wrong priorities in our life. Maybe we are more concerned with comfort than we are with the wishes of our Creator. You see, one of the um, themes that we see running through the book of James is that when James is critiquing the church, he's often offering a critique where he's saying, your God is like this, and you are like this. Your God raises up the poor, but you are raising up the rich. God doesn't show favoritism, but you do. The critique here at the end of this verse is that God sees those wandering from the truth and has a heart for them to come back. The question is, do we? Are we willing to get into the thick of it with someone into the hard slog of bringing someone back into the truth? Or is it just too hard and difficult and would rather do something else? This is the challenge that is laid at our feet at the end of James here. Why do we need to bring people back from the truth so we can save them from death? 
so we can save them from death. We're going to get into the what in a little bit, but I want to talk about who these types of people are that James is talking about here. He says, my brothers and sisters, if any one of you should wander from the truth, okay? So uh, the ESV says, if anyone from among you. So here in this passage and here this morning, we're talking about a believer who has professed their, uh, their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and is starting to wander from the truth, okay? What kind of person is that? And we're going to describe that person in a little bit. The other one is, and if someone should bring that person back, it doesn't say, and then the elders should bring them back, or the pastors should bring them back, or the preacher should bring them back, or the worship leader should bring them back. Someone, anyone, see that person, have compassion on that person, think about that person's eternal future, and go after them. So that is it. Those are the two people. It's somebody from among us who might wander, but it's also our responsibility from anybody sitting here today to see that person who is wandering and go alongside them and bring them back. So what are some attributes of the person who wanders? Well, James has been setting us up kind of in a way to understand who that person is because throughout his, uh, throughout his letter, he's been describing the person who is living the wise life. He's describing the person who has faith and trust in Jesus Christ and then has the actions to back it up. So if someone starts wandering from the truth, we can actually look to the, gospel of, uh, to the letter of James to see what that person is like who is wandering from the truth, okay? So we're going to uh, move through quite quickly. I'll just um, uh, move through a few of these passages quite quickly. Maybe this person um, is someone who isn't being patient in suffering, like chapter 5, verse 7 tells us. Remember, Jeremy was talking about this a couple weeks ago, that we had to be patient in suffering. We had to be patient until the Lord returns. Maybe that person isn't being patient in suffering. Maybe it's a rich person who's oppressing the poor in their very own church, as 5, 4, 5 verse 4 tells us. Maybe it's the person who is fighting and quarreling with other believers, as chapter 4, verse 1 tells us. Maybe it's a person who has the wrong kind of wisdom, as chapter 3 tells us. He says, who is the wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. You see, he's saying there that that's not true wisdom. Maybe it's a person who is blessing God with one breath, singing these amazing songs, but in the next they go out and they start cursing people out. They start tearing people down. You see, James is saying that there can't be this connection between you're saying God is amazing and awesome, but the very thing created in His image is terrible and awful. It doesn't make sense. This is the kind of person who begins to wander from the truth. Maybe it's somebody whose faith has no actions, like in chapter 2. Maybe it's somebody who believes only as the demons do, right? Even the demons believe. Maybe it's somebody who believes but has no actions. Maybe it's the person who shows favoritism. Maybe it's the person who hears God's word but doesn't do what it says. Do you know what the problem is when I read that passage? When I read those verses, I can see myself in there. Anybody else see themselves in there? Yeah. Come back to that. There's many other reasons why people will start to wander from the truth. 
Some people will begin to wander from church and wander from the truth because of hurt, because they've been hurt in the church. Some people will begin to wander because they'll claim that science versus faith, it just doesn't seem to make sense. I'm going to trust science. It seems to have more evidence and weight to it, so I'm going to follow after that. Sometimes people just start to leave their faith because they've got a new boyfriend or girlfriend and they don't come to church, so I'm not going to bother either. There's many reasons why people wander from the church and wander from the truth. I think James here is setting it up for us in a way that we see what he has been talking about through this letter. And if we're not putting our faith into action, if we're not having our lives express what we believe and has happened to us in our hearts, that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we've been forgiven of our sins, nothing that we have done to earn that. But God is also saying, I'm going to save you where you are, but not leave you where you are. That I want you to move on this journey of a wise life and follow after Jesus. If we're seeing people not do that, then there is a wandering from the truth that the truth has not made it into action. So how are we going to bring this kind of person back? Well, it takes two things from us as the person who's going to bring them back. One of the verses that stood out to me was in chapter 4, verse 10, and it says, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. You see, one of the, uh, I think, criteria for us, if we're going to go out after somebody, is to have that humility. Because as we've all already kind of expressed, most nods in the room, we could all fit the bill of somebody who's wandering from the truth in some way, shape, or form. So when I go out after someone, I'm not going out after someone from a place of, well, I have it all together, and I'm right, and you're wrong, and you need to turn around and come back. I actually go out after that person with the humility knowing that I'm not in this place by anything that I've done except through Jesus Christ. And I need to go out to that person knowing that they can't get back to where are back to the truth by themselves, by their own effort, but only through Jesus Christ. And so I need to walk in humility. And I need to keep that heavenly perspective. I need to keep a heavenly perspective that understands that life is more than what we see here and now. So what does this look like? I'm going to talk about what it looks like individually for us, and I'm going to talk about what it looks like corporately for us. The first thing is this, if you begin to see somebody who is wandering from the truth, the very first thing you need to do is to start praying. You see, Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, as he's speaking to Nicodemus, that um, to enter the kingdom, we must be born again. Well, how must I be born again? Well, the Spirit blows wherever it wants to. You see, it is the Spirit that regenerates the heart. It's the Spirit that turns people back towards God or to God for the very first time. So what do I need to do? I need to pray. I need to get on my knees and pray and earnestly ask God to turn that person back to the truth. Put my, put my trust in God that He's the one that's going to do that. But also what that does is it puts me in a place where when I go out after that person, I'm coming from the right place. I'm coming from being in the place of God and the presence of God in order to go out after someone. In, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we were all once dead in our transgressions, but God is the one who made us alive. You see, it is God who is going to bring people back to the truth from those that are wandering. The second is this we need to keep relationship with those people. 
If you see somebody wandering from the church, starting to disengage from church life, from Christian community, from the truth of God's Word, two things can happen. We can go, oh, well, see you later. Please, Jesus, bring them back sometime. Or if we love and care for them deeply, we're actually going to keep journeying with them and keep walking with them and keep in relationship with them. Because we never know at what point they're going to want to start coming back. And if they left the church and everyone in that church just disregarded them and didn't follow them up, that's probably not the church they're going to come back to. We need to keep relationship with them. What does this look like? Go mountain biking. Have coffee with them. Take them out for lunch. Invite them to your family for dinner. Just have friendships and relationships with them. Now, obviously, this might be hard if you didn't have a relationship with them to begin with. And we're going to get to this in a little bit around uh, community and what that looks like. But you see that we need to keep in that relationship with them. We actually can't bring somebody back to the truth if we don't even know that they've wandered. We need to be in community and relationship with people so that when they start to wander, we can go after them. You see, it's one of the problems actually I think we have in the Western church is that we're so individualistic in a way that when we see people doing small things wandering from the truth, as we talked about, you know, maybe a person just is just tearing other people down. And we go, oh, it's just Kiwi humor. It's just our culture. It just is what it is. And it's like, well, actually, hold on. That's God's calling that sin when we talk that way about other people. He's telling us that that's not how it should be. And we go, nah, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And so we let the little things slide and we don't really follow it up. And then all of a sudden we go, oh my gosh, this person is way away from Jesus. Whatever happened? And actually what it was is we weren't in a place of relationship with someone that we could encourage them to stay closer to the truth on those little things. And so it feels like out of nowhere, we have people in the church leaving the church, leaving their faith in droves. But actually what it is, is we didn't build into that relationship and journey with them in that way. We need to keep relationship with them. We're going to flip back to the Old Testament for a story on uh, bringing somebody back to the truth. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And um, this is about when David stuffed up. This is uh, when David saw Bathsheba uh, bathing, took her into her house, took her into his house, slept with her, tried to bring her husband home. Husband wouldn't sleep with her. He sends her. He sends him back. Gets killed at the front lines. And then he's like, I'm going to be the superhero, and I'm going to marry Bathsheba, and I'm going to look like the good guy. All right? So that's the story that's happened. Really short summary. Really bad summary. That's pretty much what happened. All right? But read the full text. It'll be much better than that. So then what happens? The Lord sends Nathan to go and see David. Okay? So the end of uh, chapter 11 um, it says, the thing David had done displeased the Lord. It's like, uh, that kind of makes sense. And so the Lord sends Nathan to David. And he came and he said to him, and he gives him this parable. He said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb. And he brought it, he raised it, and he grew it with him and with his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler. 
who had come to him and said, He took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hands of Saul. And he goes on to explain what he had done for him. And in verse 13, it says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, I don't think we can take exact parallels between David and us and Nathan and us. But what we do see here is that Nathan goes from a place where the Lord has sent him. So he goes from a place where he's been with God. That's the place in which he goes from. But he also does a little something to, to David, which is actually quite a helpful tool, and this can also be a helpful tool for evangelism when you think about it, is that he makes him realize he's in the wrong. Nathan doesn't go along and go, hey, by the way, God saw that you did this, and now you're a sinner. He uses a story. He uses a story that's relatable to David. What was David when he was a boy? A shepherd. He would have understood what it meant to raise a ewe and to have it sleep in his arms and to care for it deeply. And he probably would have understood what it meant if some rich person came along and stole it from him. He would have been rightly ticked off. You see, if you want to bring somebody back to the truth of Jesus Christ, back to the gospel, you actually need to be able to relate to that person. Speak to them on their level. i got a friend of mine who... um, uh, he's, he's been on this really weird, long journey with Christianity. He came to youth group with us from a non-Christian home, kind of believed there was a God kind of out there somewhere. So we always have these really random conversations. And, um, and I always say to him, I said, all right, Cullum, let me, let me put it in Cullumanese for you, okay? And so I'll take biblical truths and I'll Cullumanize it for him because he uses these, he talks in real weird language, not like, like a different language, just like he talks about how his relationship between him and God is like osmosis. He uses a bucket and a divider and all these things. And I'm like, cool, let's talk about that. Oh, okay, so that divider. Yeah, the Bible calls that sin, right? So I know Cullum in such a way that I can have that conversation with him. Know the people that you want to bring back. Have good conversations with them. Build good relationship with them. And use language that they'll understand. The final point to understand when we're bringing people um, individually back to Jesus is this is that we're not bringing people back to morality. You see, often when we read through James and the things that I read out, we would go, oh man, we need to do the right things again. Well, no, that's just not true. See, the reason that we don't always do what we want to do is, uh, is um, I'm trying to think of who the, who the preacher is that says this, but he calls about the greater love, okay? And so what is the greatest love in your life? And we want to grow to a point where Jesus is the greatest love in our life, so that we're not loving other things. And I remember the guy was talking about it from a place of like pornography, for example. It's like, if you want to defeat pornography, you must have a greater love. If you want to defeat sin in your life, you need to have a greater love. So what we want to do when people start to wander from the truth is often they're wandering to a place where something else has taken the place of greater love in their life. So how do we bring them back? We bring them back to Jesus. We bring them back to the gospel. We bring them back to the truth of God's word. This is not about us going, hey, I see you did this wrong. You need to change that in your life. It's actually about bringing them back to Jesus. 
Because only in that way, when they grow in their love and their relationship with Jesus, can they truly come back to the truth in that way, in a way that actually makes sense. Not in a way that's like, oh, my parents told me I was doing wrong, and so now I'm going to cover it up and be right until I leave home. Yeah? In a proper way, in a good way, we need to bring people back to Jesus, thinking about it in the same way that when we were brought to Jesus. So that's what it looks like individually. But what about as a community? Like I said and touched on a bit earlier, we live in a community, we live in a Western world which is individualistically minded in a way that we often don't know people have wandered from the truth until they've fully left the faith. So as a community, we need to be a place where we're actually constantly encouraging people to stick to the truth of God's Word. Like we all kind of nodded, we all have tendencies to not be fully obedient to God's Word, which means in those moments, I am wandering from the truth. And what I would love is if I start to wander from the truth, sometimes I don't know it, I would love for somebody to lovingly come alongside me and draw me back in. Again, not draw me back into the right behavior, but draw me back into Jesus. You see, James at the end there, when he talks about them wandering from the truth and bringing them back to the truth, we're talking about Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That if you want to see somebody come back who is wandering from the truth, you need to bring them back to Jesus. Bringing them back to a place of um, church and obedience and all those things is not the right place to be bringing them back to because it won't last in their life. So we need to cover them in prayer. We need to actually go out of our way to go after them. I was thinking about this illustration before. Um, Jeremy Lynn's out teaching with kids, so I can use his as an example, which is quite nice. Say so Jeremy's out there, right? He's outside this building. He's wandered from the truth, right? I think he's in the Corfi Lounge, maybe somewhere like this. I could probably yell and scream as loud as I want from here, and he will not hear me. Jeremy, come back. We need you, right? Imagine it's like, Aaron's teaching heresy, Jeremy. You need to come and sort that out, right? You're trying to shout out to him. Is that going to get to him? I need to put my mic down, and I need to go out and get him. When you see people wandering from the truth, you're probably not going to rescue them here in this building. It's about getting out of these seats and going out there and finding them, being in relationship with them, praying for them, pointing them back to Jesus. Why? Because we have the opportunity to save them from death, to save their soul from death. Now, again, as I say this, this seems like something to add, some behavior to add to our life. But when we are fixed, have fixed our eyes on Jesus, we want as many people to know Him. When my greatest love in my life is God, is Jesus, then I want to bring other people to that point as well. We go out and we walk in humility. We're a community covered by grace, knowing that I could easily be that person wandering from the truth in that moment. That I don't get to walk in a place of being I've got it all together. I know it all. You're just an idiot. Come on, hurry up. Come back kind of thing. Walk in humility. Build a community here where you're not only meeting on a Sunday, but you're meeting in homes. You're hanging out together. You're mountain biking together. You're fixing cars together. You're in places where actually you can find out whether people are varying from the truth and wandering from the truth. As I close, we're going to come to a time of communion now.
And you might be in that place now where you have started to wander from the truth. Where you've started to get the behaviors of the Christian life as the top priority rather than pursuing Jesus. And there's an opportunity now as we come back to the table to just look to Jesus again. To look to Him again and to reorientate ourselves back to Him. To that heavenly perspective. That one where we get to walk in humility in this place. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that um, that you're not somebody who, when we start to wander, that you just kind of let us go, that, that you're just like, cool, you've had enough chances, you're out of here, see you later, goodbye. We thank you that we see your love for us uh, in that parable of the prodigal son, Lord, that no matter how far we have wandered, you are there ready to welcome us back with open arms. But Father, we know that for us, sitting here today, that there is a challenge for us to see those who are beginning to wander from the truth. To see those who are starting to get a greater love than you in their life out there in the world, and they're starting to go after it. Lord, give us eyes to see them. Give us wisdom, wisdom, wisdom to walk alongside them. Give us faith to trust in you. Because, Lord, we cannot go out and do this without you. Lord, help us to have our eyes so fixed on you that we are so in love with you that when we are talking with people, it is so easy to bring them back to the truth of the gospel. It is so easy to bring them back into that fold and point them back to you again. We thank you for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, that that is what truly covers over a multitude of sin. That that is truly what saves our souls from death. Thank you that you saw nothing good in us, but out of your own goodness, you stepped down into this earth to save us. We pray for this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen.